So, hi everybody, welcome to the Cultural Studies Podcast. This is Toby Miller, and I'm in the Zeta Townhouse, where I sat with Dave Hesmond-Hulge last week, preparing him for his interview with Lord David Putnam at the House of Lords, where Dave was being inducted as uh, Lord Hesmond-Hulge of Blackburn. Uh, but here I'm with an already well-inducted person whose first name is Kim, but I'm going to ask her how to pronounce her last name. Acas. Acas. Yes. And I, Kim is somebody who I've just met physically for the first time, but whose work I've known and I've been in contact with for a long time. And tell me about Acas. Acas is my husband's name. Ah, uh-huh. right. Um, we think it could be Persian, we're not sure. Ah, Armenian, uh-huh. whatever. It's from that kind of the, that side of the world. But I actually took his name, I dropped my name and took his name because he comes from a family of writers and I thought it might rub off on me. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. So his father was a journalist, he's a journalist, his brother, and I thought if I become an ACAS I might be able to become a writer. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and I know this isn't exactly what we're gathered here together to talk about, but it's interesting to me that, that they don't know what their lineage is, ethnically. Well, yeah, I think it's... Um, there's some one part of the family that's kind of gone on the family tree, right. um, and I think they like to to, to look at the um, kind of more oriental, more uh, romantic lineage. But the family tree <laughs> says um, that it could be they could come from acres, as in literally in acres in in land. So. Who knows? I mean, they're, they're, somebody's doing it, but it's still on the way. And Kim, what was your name before you became an AK? Vinyl. Vinyl? Yeah. So you could have been a singer. I could have been a singer. If you... and indeed, I used to be called Polly all the time. <laughs> yeah, Polly Vinyl. I had, yeah. My chemistry teacher at school in London was named Dr. Vinyl. Oh, excellent. Really? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Dr. Vinyl. Oh, that's really interesting. It's, it's would have been a great really name for a record note. store too. Absolutely. Yeah. So how was yours? Or how is yours spelled? V i n a l l. Same. Wow. This was Dr. Ian C. Vinyl, PhD, Reading, and wow. I didn't know there was a university called Reading, and I thought it meant reading, as in trying to get a PhD. And because he was also a gifted teacher and a lovely man, but sometimes had struggle expressing himself, I felt very avuncular towards oh, him because nice. he was, first of all, he had the great, you know, nominative determinism name, yeah. <laughs> Divine, who taught chemistry. Secondly, he was reading for his doctorate. And thirdly, he was charming, but every now and then we just had difficulty getting through to us. Exactly <laughs> like me. <laughs> Often completely inarticulate. <laughs> So you said you've had quite a week. To the extent you want to share that with the group, what have you been up to? Oh, just, um, what have I been up to? So my mind goes completely blank. So I'm teaching in uh, University of Hertfordshire. And the week began with um, a film and TV histories course for 65 students. Wow, yeah. Um, a dissertation afternoon with my tutorials, um, a tutorials with my dissertation students. And between three of us, we have 80 dissertation students oh to get God. through. Um, so that was Monday. Tuesday was a, quite a quiet day. I was writing lectures and doing kind of admin stuff. Um, Wednesday, teaching again. And meetings in the afternoon. Yesterday, the interview for a new post. So I was sitting on a panel for that. And then off to a journal launch last night. And today I met with my publisher this morning, the lovely Philippa Brewster, and I'm meeting you this afternoon. So it's cool, all kind of great. one of those weeks is a bit, it's different hats. And what was the journal launch? Uh, for, it's Mamsie, it's a maternal mothering group uh-huh. coming out of Birkbeck, uh-huh. maternal studies. And um, the latest issue is about austerity measures and parenting, and I've got a, an article in that. Have you? What's yes. your, what's your uh, piece um, about? It's about the gendered nature of reporting on um, on austerity measures. And oh, I think you've touched on that in a blog, haven't you, as well? Possibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Bang right. on about it a lot, yeah. Well, sure. yeah absolutely, as, as I should. Um, and so this is an open access journal, which is really exciting, because uh-huh. that's the big buzz at the moment. Is it open access, or is it behind the paywall, much like Murdoch? Um, and it's uh, freely available and it's 
Look, it was really hard to write. It was a very, very difficult piece um, because I'm looking at American reporting and British reporting. In print? Or In print. Whatever we, whatever we mean yeah, by print. It's, it's newspaper yeah. reporting, but obviously read online. Um, and the American is in America. There was this huge backlash, much like the 80s backlash against feminism, as reported by Faludi. And um, it was all about how the how men were losing their jobs, and it's the biggest crisis in masculinity for a long time. And in Britain, at the same time, we were getting the reports that women were losing their jobs because of the cutbacks in the public health services and, and teaching and the public sector. And it really interested me, well, why is it in America it's men that are suffering and why is it in Britain that women are suffering? New York Times versus Polly Toynbee. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, not surprisingly, you kind of dig and dig and dig and find that it's the spin that's put on the reports. It's not the numbers. Not the underpinning numbers. The reports. No, no, no. It's, 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 it's a spin it's over spin. and underpinning, as Absolutely, it were. Absolutely, yeah. Very yeah. interesting. And actually, now what's yeah. happening is the women are losing their jobs in America as yeah. the teaching services are hit. Right. And that's not reported quite as much as the terrible crisis in masculinity. <laughs> it's called the He Session in America. Well, it, it, I think one of the things that happened at the very beginning was that there was a very dramatic drop in construction. Absolutely. And so instantaneously it would have hit a lot of men involved yeah. in the Absolutely. building trades in the US. Yeah. Yeah? yeah, yeah. But pretty soon after that um, it's, it's much more widely spread yeah, and of course. course once it comes time for the so-called recovery the things that are hit are precisely these areas that have been traditionally important for women's employment. Yeah. Right? And the other spin, of course, that you get is it's, um, that now women have equality. We've got, we're doing better than men, actually, in the workplace. And that the, we've got equal pay. Really? Oh, really? Is, yeah. that so? is that so? I haven't noticed. No, I haven't noticed either. Um, and actually, again, it's another spin. And, I, and it's the... Um, Hello, lovely, thank you. Thank you. It's the 20-year-old women that have got equality and they're doing really well, but it's that maternal rule. And as soon as yep. women have children, yep. they have real issues, and particularly in Britain because um, childcare is so expensive. And that's been in the news recently about how they're going to try and cut the cost of childcare by making it the ratio of four to one children rather than three to one for the under sixes. Um, so, you know, there's many, many figures that, that go along with it that, that actually doesn't really add up. And women aren't really going back to uh, into the home because they want to. It's because they're forced. It would be interesting to see whether this has a medium to long-term impact on divorce, too. Yeah. Because generally when women have more financial independence, divorce rates go up. Yeah, which in they, fact they, they're saying in America has happened. It has, yeah. yeah, it, it certainly has, has happened there. It ha well, it's... Even when there have been blips and crises, it's tended to happen because the long-term tendency is for women to be in an economic position to make those decisions, Absolutely, to yeah. pr protect themselves and their children, or just to be happier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But here, I, d I don't know whether it's happening yet or in um, crisis. I think I don't. You know, I just think it's really hard. I think it's kind of all all um, caught up in these discourses of women's rightful place in the home. Yes, right. And I think it's, um, women do have financial independence, but usually their money is less than their husband's. Yeah. Again, mass generalisation, but this is not an academic um, forum, is it? So I can, I can generalise as much as I like. <laughs> Absolutely. But, I mean, in general, you know, women do earn equally, and that does mean they have more independence. And but as soon as they have children, it changes. Yes, it all becomes. It all becomes really different. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's always the women's wage that gets um, traded off for childcare. You know, is it worth me staying at work? And yet you never hear men saying, "Is it worth me staying at work?" Or diminishing hours. Yeah. It's the other thing. Yeah. Uh, I'll stay at work, but I'll. I'll ask that my job be 20 hours a week exactly. instead of 35. Exactly. Yeah. And of course, that often means bringing work home. Yeah. Yeah. Or working through lunch hours. Yeah, and working when the kids are in bed. Even yeah. so. Yeah. yeah, which I've done lots of over the years. Yeah. So, so, um, just. Uh, 
can you give us again the spelling of the, this journal where people can read your piece and um, the, on this topic? The journal, it's, um, oh, this is terrible, I can't remember. It's M A M S I E. Mamsie is the Mamsie. It's, it's mother's matters. Yeah, it's this is dreadful. I should know the whole thing. No, 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 um, no, 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 no problem. Mamsie, Mamsie website is yeah. coming out of Birkbeck University. It's right. a completely peer-reviewed journal, um, and they they've got a new. They have issues, I think, twice a year. So this Great. is the latest one. I have issues. Fifty-two weeks a year. <laughs> I have issues every day. Now, why don't you pour yourself a cup of tea while I, you know, brew up my next question? Okay. Thinking. So the reason. Um, I first encountered your work, I think, was through a book you did. But now you're, I guess, renowned in television studies. You're kind of the queen of television studies. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, um, the, the great thing about your enterprise, and it's not only you, obviously, but you've been doing the vast majority of the work, from what I can tell, is that it is both an academic journal in a conventional and, in fact, printed sense and yeah. behind a paywall, in view, yeah. uh, and it is a live uh, clearinghouse for information yeah. that is free online and also a place where a great deal of interesting work is published. So can you tell us a bit about it? Let's get to the journal's name, Critical Studies in Television. Yeah, and it's, we've and just changed. It's the International um, Journal of Television Studies now. Oh, I apologise. No, know no, 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 so you should know. It's International just Journal of Television yeah, Studies. Yeah, we've just changed the, the name. Okay. Um, but it's it's been going for six or seven years. Yeah, seven. We're in our we're coming up to our eighth year. Eighth year. Yeah. And, and in the past, it's been critical studies in television. In television. Yeah. And the website still bears that lineage. It's um, CST Online. It's kind of its own brand. CST Online. Yeah. So tell us about starting the journal. So the that? journal started. Um, God, a long time ago, mm. Janet and I were... Um, this is Janet McCabe. Janet McCabe, Janet McCabe, who's at Birkbeck as well, um, Institute, uh, what's it called? Birkbeck College of London. And um, we held a conference in Dublin, Trinity College Dublin. Fancy, I didn't know they even Fancy, had TV sets at Trinity College they Dublin. They didn't until Janet went. And she <laughs> <laughs> she <laughs> sorted that out, didn't she? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she sorted that out. Um, and we quite grandly and I think arrogantly and naively called it the Quality TV Conference. A famous um, event, actually. Famous but event I didn't know now, it was yeah. held there. Yeah. 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 Um, and it was to get together all the um, TV scholars, really, who were working, we're kind of rag bag bunch, we were working cultural studies in English, in film, and you name it, we're from yeah. there. And so we all came yeah. together to talk about what's grandly called quality TV, which, of course, was the HBO phenomenon. Um, and so we got all these scholars together and there we'd been thinking about starting a journal and we got together with a couple of other people, David Lavery in America and um, Robin Nelson, Stephen Lacey and decided, uh, Stephen wasn't there, Robin and David, and we decided to actually kick off this journal that Janet yes. and I had been thinking about. So it took about a year to get off the ground. We went to Manchester University Press, took us on. But meanwhile, there was a big online explosion happening in America, really. Um, you mean of journals or of television? Of, or of anything. I mean, okay. this was back in well, just 2004, I think it was. So online was really kicking off. So we decided we really wanted to have a website as well as the hard copy. Because it's a very different market. It's a very different audience. Um, and the hard copy continues to be the place where we have longer, um, much more kind of academic looks at television. Mm -hmm. um, kind of six to seven thousand, up to eight thousand word articles. Um, we've just gone up to three times a year. We have, we've got a special edition coming out in September this year on special effects on television. So we have, you know, it's a general all-rounder. Um, like or, Dark Daleks. Yeah, yeah, we've got a big thing on Doctor Who coming up. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, but an academic look. Of course. Of course. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> of course. But the website, we were kind of committed to having open access 
stuff um, where t TV studies scholars can just go and find it where the latest conferences, new journals, new books, um, and to get original writing that isn't quite so academic. Mm -hmm. It's more of a playful look mm -hmm. at TV. You know, what, what did you watch this week? What's your latest bugbear? And you and Janet contribute quite a lot to that, don't you? Yeah, we have, we have done. I mean, now it's kind of, because we're running it, it's really hard to write. You know, the last thing I wrote was three months ago, maybe. So it's really hard to run the thing and write for it. And the hard copy journal has just gone up to three issues a year. So that's really, you know, it's quite unwieldy to keep it all together. So we're, we're looking for people to help. <laughs> I actually noticed that you've got some new people working yeah. with you on the website, yeah. haven't you? Yeah, I've got two lovely ladies, Lisa Kelly and Deborah Ramsey, who are both helping me upload. I'm training them into how to run a website. Um, because, you know, obviously we want to be a bit freer. Thank you. Great, thanks. Cheers. Here comes the soup <coughs> and bread. There we go. <coughs> Thank you. And some nuts to nibble. Crunchy <coughs> nuts. And so people go to CST online. Now, why have you changed the name of the journal from Critical Studies in Television to International Journal of Because it was, initially, it was Critical Studies in, Critical Studies in Television, um, a small screen fictions, mm -hmm. journal of small screen fictions, and there was some confusion about what people could write about. And initially it was called that because it was coming out of Manchester Metropolitan University, the drama department. And so we needed um, a focus on small screen fictions because they were supporting it. Um, but it, we were never really happy with the fit and we always wanted to open it up so that we could talk about anything on television. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and we found that people were reluctant to write about you know, reality TV, for example. Well, how can you have a TV journal if you're not writing about the things, yeah. the very things that are on TV? So when we, we've kind of relaunched and we've just changed the subtitle <laughs> to the International Study mm. um, TV Journal because it's it's everything about TV mm. and it is international and we do a lot of transnational work. Thank you. Um, and it just widens the remit as well. One of the things I've noticed is that there seems to be a whole strand of television studies that only does drama. Yeah. And another strand that's perhaps more associated with, say, communication studies yeah. that only does news and current affairs. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And there'll be uh, the strand that does ethnographic studies, audience. Mm. Um, mm. Versus content analysis. Yeah. Versus textual analysis. Yeah, and it kind of, you know, we're in Britain now. There's yes. a very big pecking order over here. You've got also aesthetics um, that people trying to... It's a whole series coming out of Manchester University Press that focuses on TV aesthetics. Is there? So yeah. what would you say is the picking order in television studies here? Oh, well, drama is the top, of course, you know, I think. Well, this is how I think. I think that people think that it's, you know, if it's um, you know, costume drama, Downton Abbey, that kind of mm. thing. Um, then I would, I don't know, I think communication, maybe, I don't know. I think aesthetics is trying to bring back that kind of filmic quality mm. to it. Mm -hmm. um, and of course reality TV is right at the bottom. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And gender's in there somewhere, but I'm not quite sure where. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, there's room really for it, it to mix up. You know, I think. And what about the kinds of critiques of media and cultural studies that governments, some universities, and a lot of newspapers seem rather keen on here in the UK. I mean, in the US, because so many people do study communications or do study journalism and go to J school, and every journalist has at least one degree, normally two, yeah. in journalism, there isn't that antipathy. Mm. Uh, but nor is there that interest in even discussing such matters. But here, the Daily Mail, the Daily Tory Graph, <coughs> Oxbridge, yeah. you know, assorted schools bureaucrats are forever sounding off about how wicked all this is. Yeah, yeah. What, what is uh, that about? Why do they I care? Don't know. I just don't know. I think it's um, 
it's such a snobbery, isn't it? I mean, mm. they, they seem to forget that literature was looked down upon. English literature was not something that people would study. Um, there's a definite idea that the sciences are better. Theatre. Film is now reluctantly allowed into that canon. Now it's art. But I think TV is always popular culture. It's, I think it's the idiot box in the corner. Why would anybody want to study that? And I would argue that that's precisely why we need to study it because it is the, the one thing that has the biggest influence on us because it's always there in our lives. It's always there in our lives. Yeah, but there is, you're right, there's, a, there's been a, an argument recently um, between journalists as well, you know, journalists saying that we shouldn't study the media at all. Um, Daily Telegraph had a wonderfully snotty piece about um, elite, we should keep elite universities and elite subjects and media studies of course is not one of those and why are people studying the media well why not study the media you know we read newspapers still that's you really need it's okay um we should be studying this stuff we shouldn't just dumbly accept it but i think it's kind of the old guard maybe i don't know it makes no sense to me. But you also always find, you know, oh, somebody's doing a dissertation on EastEnders. What a waste of the taxpayers' money. Yeah. Well, they can't say it anymore because actually now we're having to pay our fees. So students are paying a lot. Point A and point B, licence payers fund bloody EastEnders. Exactly. So, so yeah. <coughs> talk to them about the fact that it rates so highly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. If your measure of all this crap is some sort of private sector notion of markets. Now, Kim, I mentioned that you and Janet had formed the journal together, but you've also done other work together, haven't you? Yeah. Um, a couple of books, is that right? Uh, we've done, yeah, we did. We started with Sex and the City, reading Sex and the City. It's the Reading Contemporary TV series for Ivy Taurus. And um, that's who I just saw this morning, the lovely Philippa Brewster, who really took a gamble with us. It's a terrific book, by the way, yes, uh, Reading Sex and City. Lovely book. I, it was uh, one of our favourite books. Yes. Um, and it was, it was a real gamble because people weren't really doing TV studies at the time. Um, and not, not, in, not to look at... We, our idea was to look at series as they were going out. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to wait for them to finish. Because especially something like Sex and the City, there was such a buzz about it. And it was the beginning of something different. You know, in America you had tours, Sex and the City tours, and you know, it affected fashion, it was everything. So we decided we wanted to do a book <coughs> about a TV series, a, a pop cultural phenomenon as it was happening. Mm. The downside to that was that obviously we didn't finish the series because we, I think we published the book. Usually we do it around season two or season three when it's kind of bedded in and that, but there's still a buzz around it. But it sold really well. Um, and so from there we went on to do, I think our second one was on Six Feet Under. Again, when the series was going out. Um, and that was a, another great experience. We got to look around funeral parlours and... We immersed ourselves in it. Then we went on to do Reading the L Word and we did Reading Desperate Housewives. Um, we just published, whoa, the latest book is um, TV's Betty Goes Global, which is possibly the hardest book we've ever got together because it's about not just Ugly Betty, it's about the telenovela and the beginning of it in Colombia and how it's traversed across the world. Um, and again, that was one that obviously I believe Betty has finished, well finished, but the telenovela continues. Sure. And we've got contributors from Russia, Indian, um, Czech, Israeli, Turkish. I mean, we've got a lot of the Bettys, a covered Chinese Betty. So it was a big book, big project, and it kind of really brought us to our knees, I think. But it's out now, so worth reading. That's wonderful. And you two edit all of them, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good grief. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the year that we did, the L, we took the L word on because the original editor um, had a lot of problems, so we took the book over from her. It was um, the lady who, um, after Ellen, is the website that she 
runs and it all got a bit too big so she passed it over to us mm -hmm. and we had to do two books in one year which was reading Desperate wow. Housewives mm -hmm. and reading The L World and that was a killer but we've also got other people in the series we've got you know, The Sopranos um, 24 we have other editors doing the books as well um, and our next, the next big one in the series after Ugly Betty is the Doctor Who collection that's going to be coming out in September hopefully in time for the 50th anniversary. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we're busy. Yeah. I'll say. Now, look, I, I really want you to have your tea and your soup My before soup. they get too cold. Okay. How do you guys stay in love? Uh, Janet how, and I. Yes. How do you avoid Lennon McCartney things happening um, to you? We've got families and children and lives and oh, we how just do you get those they sound quite <laughs> good <laughs> but we live very close to each other we live 10 minutes away mm. and we talk we don't talk as much as we used to we used to talk on the phone every day and now we don't because we're both you know working full time and but we see each other keep in touch regularly you know we see each other maybe once a month have dinner she's just really good fun mm. we we have a laugh sense of humour that's what you need mm. and we enjoy the same things so and actually Janet would, whom I haven't met would have been here today except she was struck down by the dreaded lurgy oh god yeah terrible flu mm. get your flu jabs people mm. absolutely so you mentioned earlier Kim that uh, you had quite a lot of personal experience of these issues of the impact of child rearing yeah. on career. Yeah. In the US it's a huge structural mm. academic issue because Isn't of it? six years to tenure. And of course lots of jobs, particularly in disciplines where women have historically been reasonably represented, are getting fractured anyway. So the uh, convention of a route through to a full-time academic job is itself under threat and especially in the areas where women have often managed to be professors but the entire structure of the thing is predicated on people not having children mm. uh, or not having primary responsibility for children I think yeah. it's fair to say because of the fact that you can't get this assistant professorship until you've got your PhD and then it's six years till you know whether they're going to get rid of you or not. So people are putting a, yeah, bit, yeah. a pretty bind. Obviously, this sort of thing varies from place to place. But I wondered if you might talk a little bit about the, your experience. Um, my, ex I think, I think that the difference in Britain is is that you don't have to, you don't have the tenure track. So that's that's good. Um, we do tend to get jobs, but then we do have to jump through the hoops still. Mm. But we we can get jobs. Um, I think the problem is, is if you haven't got that job when you have children, which I didn't. I came to education late. Um, my son was three when I went to university. So, and I just had this grand idea, I'll go to university, or fill in the time. All that time you had? All that time I had, yeah. Well, you know, it'll fill my time and um, maybe I can get a job that means that I've got enough money to pay for childcare. That was my, my issue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I thought I could be a teacher maybe and then my holidays would fit in with the school holidays. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think everybody's always very naive when they have their children. They have no idea how it's going to affect their lives. So um, I, went, I went to university, I did an access course, went to university. What's an access course? It's um, instead of A-levels, I kind of dropped out of school. So it's when I so I didn't do A levels. So it's a bridging. It's a thing qualification. To, yeah, it kind of bring. I don't, mm -hmm. think, I don't know if they do them anymore. It's like a foundation course, or yep. mm -hmm. to kind of gets you back into the university. Yep. yep. Um, did my access course, really loved it, and went to university, and really loved it, and then got um, taken on as a part-time seminar leader, a visiting lecturer. And I did that for a few years when my son was young. Um, and then I did an MA at the same time and mm. kind of slowly got back into it. But I then got employed, it was at London Met, the most famous London Met. London and Metropolitan University, a former polytechnic, and in terrible difficulty at present because uh, the United Kingdom Border Agency, which is the paranoid state's 
surveillance mechanism <laughs> for trying to make sure there aren't too many people speaking Polish in Britain uh, has, as part of the Tory party's campaign to destroy immigration, endeavoured to de-licence London Met's capacity to forward the entry of foreign students into the UK to study, which has had a devastating impact on thousands of lives directly, but also on the finances of that institution. Yeah, and it was already in trouble already. Yeah. In big trouble because it, um, I, without going into too many details, they had a terrible drop-off rate, so retention of students. Um, in fact, it was I think over half they used to lose, and there were some you know dodgy dealings. Let's put it that way about when to report their figures. So the government pays, and then they got they caught got, out. Got caught out, and um, had they were fined greatly. So they've been in a lot of trouble. But anyway, kind of digress. So I was working at London Met. I worked there for three or four years as a le senior lecturer, and um, things got really hot at London Met. And they, it was at the time of the merge. Anyway, for a long, lots of many, many reasons, I left and started up this I was doing working on the series already and we were starting the journal so, so this I, is about eight about eight or nine years yeah yeah and in that time I had another child and um, it's this is the first time I've had a proper job since then wow so I worked at Manchester Met on contracts you know mm -hmm. year here mm -hmm. year there and that's what they do here is you'll get taken on for a year. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. find around um, ref time, which is happening soon. This is a research excellence framework, which is the, again, paranoid national government's surveillance technique <laughs> for determining the value of universities. And it's a productivity reward system, such that money that's been taken away from the basic infrastructure of non-science, non-technology, non-engineering, non-mathematics, non-medical subjects can be clawed back on a competitive, supposedly meritocratic basis and it leads to an extraordinary governmentalization of everyday life and hiring practices that are about uh, intense short-termism. Mm. Anyway, back it's then. the amount you research. Mm. So you have to have your four pieces a year. So what happens is a lot of universities you'll find they take on research fellows and uh, research associates for a year, mm. two years, and then people get let go at the end of the um, ref exercise. It was RAE, and that's what happened to me from the last job I had. Nice. And Janet and um, another person that was working with us as well. It was quite a Les Cook. Three of us were working there. And um, at the end of the RAE period, we all got let go. So Janet and I have now got jobs. Janet's just got her job in September. I got my last September. And um, it's the first time that we've been in proper gainful employment. So the long and the short of it is, is if you have children, it's very difficult to get back into the academy. Yeah. I think it's difficult to get back into the academy whether you have children or not. But I mm -hmm. think it's, it's, I would argue it's harder because you have the childcare issues and you mm -hmm. have to, mm -hmm. you have to actually pay the money to get back in in order because you have to research, you have to teach, you have to now do funding bids, and it's a lot of lot of work. So. Yeah, I think that's how having a child's impacted me. Sure. And you, what did you study when you went back to education after you'd done this bridging course and you were an undergrad? Where did you do your undergrad degree? In English and film studies. Uh -huh. And I was going to um, major in English and just loved film studies. I, you know, I was a typical working class girl. I had no idea that you could study film. Oh my God. Hmm. Um, and it just opened a, a whole new world. It was yeah. just incredible. So film studies, um, it's my way of looking at history. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's my way of, of geography. I can find my map my way through geography through film. I must have a very visual um, 
mind or a visual way of looking at the world. I don't yeah. know, but it, it just really opens up so many doors for me. So how were you corrupted by the smaller screen? Oh, because, I mean, again, you know, you ask, how did having children impact upon yeah, you? Yeah. You know, I, it was at the time, The Sopranos, that was what did it. I used to have always it was been the a Sopranos big, what won it. <coughs> it was the Sopranos what did it, Toby. <laughs> <coughs> I've always loved TV. I've always watched telly. I was a big, big telly addict in back in the day. Right. Uh -huh. I was a, an only child, really. My brother was much older, so he left home, and I was left alone with two parents and a telly. What you gonna do? So I used to watch um, old black and white films. Yeah, just wonderful. So they were always together for you, cinema and television. Yeah, yeah, of course. I always watched films on TV, always. We did go to the cinema, but we were, you know, working class. We couldn't really afford to go two or three times a week like people do now. I mean, we used to go as a real family treat. Um, what did mum and dad do? Were they working or unemployed? Yeah, yeah. My mum was, uh, she was a civil servant. And my dad was, um, he worked for the bank, but you know, they'd been hit by a recession before, so my dad mm -hmm. used to be a furrier. Right. And um, so they'd kind of, yeah. My mum was originally in service, she was a lady's maid. Was she? Yeah. Mm. So, you know. Oh, hence your comfort in a place like this where I've brought you. <laughs> Especially downstairs. <laughs> right, downstairs is where the loo is, the, the toilet, the restroom, but it's also where there is the game room. Absolutely. <laughs> which means. I guess a big pool table uh, and some trophies on the wall. And it's hard to know whether this is parodying all this crap or just incarnating it. Maybe it's a bit of both, right? I think the, the, the ironic thing about here is we're around the corner from Clerkenwell, um, Square Clerkenwell, which is the scene of the big Luddite riots. So it's, you know, haves and have nots. Yeah. Just within a cheek by jowl, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. which Islington yeah. is famous for, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So yes, yeah, so that was my introduction mm. to, and then TV studies. I was at home a lot, and we got HBO over here through Channel Four, and we um, had The Sopranos, Oz, mm. then The Sopranos. Forgotten show. Forgotten Oz. show. Terrific great show. program. Amazing. So uh, Channel Four is a free-to-air. Public broadcaster in the British sense, um, it actually has commercials like you mm. get on CBC in Canada. Not quite so many though. Maybe are there? I don't. I don't think there are as many. It, it was meant to be the great innovative channel, and it eventually became the Big Brother yeah. channel, which is a part of innovation. Yeah. But it struggled in recent times to maintain its highfalutin quality yeah. stature. Partly because it spent all its money on American shows. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Truly. Um, it was always the kind of young channel. And we always yeah. had, you know, Friday night was Roseanne or um, it brought Hill Street Blues. A lot of American sure. shows. Sure. Um, and then it kind of bankrupted itself with the HBO shows. And now, of course, Sky buys them, doesn't it? Don't often. stop me! Yes. And, and how does an American TV scholar write about American TV in Britain anymore? Well, quite. I mean, at the moment, I can't write about anything because um, during the snowstorm that we had, what, two weeks ago? <laughs> yes. My satellite dish stopped working. And I telephoned Sky a day after it had stopped working, no, two days after it had stopped working when I tried restarting the service in the conventional ways to say, well, it's not working. And they said, yes, it's because of the snow. And I said, well, that's interesting because I can see everybody else's fucking satellite dish working. And the pub across the street, I just watched the football at, so what are you talking about? And they said, no, 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 that's what it is. There are microclimates. Oh, my, right, so Sky has discovered the microclimate. Anyway, a week later, still wasn't working. So six days ago, I called them again. And this time the man said, oh, yeah, it's obviously a problem with yours. And we'll get someone out to you in two weeks. So six days from now, I'm supposed to have, you know, the man from the ministry, as it were, is going to come out. Sky is uh, the oh, yeah. leading satellite cable service uh, here in Britain and it covers both the internet and television and he then said and after the man's come and fixed it you can then apply for having a furlough as it were for three weeks of your bill for the service we're not giving you unbelievable why do you not go to Virgin 
I beg your pardon. <laughs> Sorry. So this is the other evil entrepreneur bastard of Britain, a criminal named Richard Branson, whose father was a High Court judge, which is why Richard Branson didn't go to jail, as he should have when he was 18. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yes. You know, I'm the great Maoist entrepreneur struggling mm -hmm. against the ruling class. The only reason you're not in jail, sunshine, is that your daddy is the fucking ruling class. God. Anyway, Judge Branson got little dicky off a nasty, nasty charge that the evil state was in, engaging him with um, 40 years ago. And Branson, uh, whom people will know because of Virgin Megastore and Virgin Airlines, uh, runs the, the most important alternative to Sky. And I haven't got a good answer except I don't find Murdoch as ugly as Branson physically. Right. I and find Branson repellent. So it's, it's, it's based on who's the least repellent to you? It, well, not only that, it's also based on when I first arrived here, which company would accept a credit card that wasn't UK based? You wrote about this on And blog, Sky yeah. was the only one that would accept. Right. I mean, the, literally the only British company of any kind that I encountered that would permit online or telephonic or in person or other. Sorry, online or telephonic use of a foreign credit card to set up payment for anything. I couldn't buy a printer. I couldn't. So, so that's why, to be honest, it's as simple as that. And it's so hard to get a bank account here, yeah. even for a British subject, yeah. as I uh, am. Anyway, I was talking about myself so much because I wanted Kim to be able to have more of her soup and more of <laughs> And I'm enjoying it. It's lovely. But anyway, that is my Sky story. And other Sky customers I've spoken to can't believe that you could be living in central London and wait three weeks. It's unbelievable. This is, but this is Britain. Don't forget. So some things haven't changed since I left in the seventies. No, it, uh, no, I think customers some, always wrong. Exactly. And a monster. Exactly. And then snow <laughs> can stop the world. That's right. That's right. There is this thing called snow and ice, and all things grind to a halt. Absolutely. And you can get nowhere. I remember what the government didn't do this time. I loved it. The uh, Labour government under Gordon Brown said that the wrong kind of snow had fallen. Yes, that which, was a good one. <laughs> that yeah. was fantastic. That was brilliant. To explain yeah. an absence of grit, yeah. this is both senses of grit. The grit that what won the Second World War yep. and the grit what stops the ice on the ground. Yep. Both we, kinds of grit yep. were lacking all, because the wrong type of snow had yeah. fallen. Exactly. Just fantastic. I know, it's brilliant. To be in Britain <laughs> when there's snow is just something else. It's just yeah. incredible. And then yeah. the other thing that happens is it rains here, they've latterly discovered, and so sometimes that means things flood. Oh, all the time. <laughs> it's terrible. It's, it's global warming, of course. Yes, that's true, but when my parents lived here in the 1950s, it happened. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a floodplain in many ways. Absolutely. Certainly where yeah. we are right now yeah, yeah, is a floodplain, regardless of global warming, yeah. which of but course is happening. everything now is because of climate change. So they're not expecting it. You know that, yeah. <laughs> you wait, the next excuse will be, your dish doesn't work because of climate change. Yeah. Now they've discovered the microclimate. The microclimate of my floor and exactly. the angle at which exactly. my satellite dish is exactly. pointing. So the, I think, the th anyway, the point yeah. about Sky is that mm. they, and this, I, you can read this, I write about this a lot on the blog. Mm. Because she certainly does, oh, dear listener. <laughs> because every time I start writing about TV, I get incensed again. Yeah. So now my latest thing is I'm trying to watch Girls. Everybody in the world has seen Girls, except us in Britain, unless you've got Sky. And you can't get Sky Atlantic unless you're a Sky subscriber, which means that you have to get rid of everything and go over to Sky Lock, Stock and Barrel. Now, if you've lived in Britain, you know that to actually do that voluntarily is madness because it could take six weeks to actually get everything back up and running again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why would I voluntarily get rid of yeah. a working system to go over to Sky, which, as you know, can take a long isn't time. Isn't a working system. It isn't a working system. So, But it's not like HBO. I can't mm. choose to pay for that channel. So Girls isn't out on DVD until mid-February. Um, so I can't see. They've just renewed yeah. for the third season. I haven't see, even seen the first. And it is good. Everybody says it, so. It really yeah. is interesting. Yeah. It has many of the questions one could raise about race that have been raised about it yeah. that, that apply to Sex and the City. Yeah. But it's in many ways as fresh and interesting as Sex and the City yeah. was because it's really 
asking people to think about women and sexuality exactly, in the yeah. context of that com that difficult moment for all of us of immediate post-adolescence yeah, and yeah. the fiction of being a grown-up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I managed. I've, I've probably read everything there is to read about series <laughs> without actually seeing it. And I must say, I kind of tried to look at something that wasn't exactly legal online and failed miserably because I can't do it. Um, Just more water, be lovely. Thank you. When you got a moment. I don't have the capability <laughs> to do it. You don't so, have a dishonest bone in your <coughs> I certainly do. scholarly body. <laughs> no, no, I absolutely <laughs> do. But, but if I had the technological ability, I would be there with everybody else. Um, but no, I'm just going to have to wait and see it. And it just is heartbreaking. A whole series, you know, Empire Boardwalk. I've seen one episode. The other interesting thing about Murdoch, as we're on the subject, yeah is um, Netflix. I signed up for Netflix. Mm -hmm. And of course, you must have noticed the difference between an American Netflix mm -hmm. um, and iTunes and Amazon and the British Netflix, iTunes and Amazon. Thank you. Um, one of the um, main problems is that we don't have the choice of shows that you have in I America. Didn't, I actually didn't know about that difference. It's huge. We don't have... A quarter of the show. So I've we we've got the lot. Breaking Bad is on Netflix. Fabulous um, show. Dexter, but you notice they're not HBO shows, and it seems that Murdoch has right. managed copyright. Breaking Bad is, is it Showtime or USA Today? No, Breaking Bad isn't. Isn't it ACM? Um, uh, Showtime is definitely Dexter. Yeah. Uh, Breaking Bad is actually not on uh, a top tier channel it's so, a it's a channel with commercials but right, it's on a cable okay. channel i just can't remember it might be usa network right which is but actually the top just about the top rating uh, but i think there's channel. an article to be written about this about sure. what shows rupert murdoch and um sky think are top-notch shows well which ones are the top tier because yeah. interestingly homeland got through and it's on channel four because obviously somebody was asleep and didn't see that that was going to be a really good show I mean, it's probably not the best we could talk about. No, I think it is a good it's, show. It's arguably one of the quality series that Murdoch would have signed up. Oh, that he kind of missed. That he missed, That's yeah. interesting. Well, I mean, anything that shows him up to be a fool makes me happy. Because me too. The discourse about Murdoch that I hate the most is the one that grudgingly says how intelligent he is. I don't think he's intelligent he's at all. Intelligent. He's hired some, some smart cookies who've done some smart things mm. every now and then. Yeah. But... Uh, I mean, the Grawniad had an interesting piece, I think today or yesterday, uh, on its website, where it did a little textual analysis of his tweets. Do you, do you follow Murdoch? No, no, no. But the, That's interesting. But they, they did this little story in the yeah. paper today or yesterday about it. Mm. And the guy's a moron. Yeah, yeah. I mean, an incredible idiot. Yeah, yeah. His little aperçus are functionally illiterate and stupid. Mm. He, um, his latest one distancing himself from the um, Israeli cartoon right. was really interesting. in the Times. Yeah. yeah, but he tweeted about that. Uh, having earlier had to apologise because he claimed that uh, Jew why are Jewish owners of the media in the United States allowing anti-Israel stories to percolate through their properties? Yeah. I mean, he is really a monster. Yeah. Oh, monsters. I mean, he's... I've been aware of his special zoological qualities, his reptile mm. self, since I was 10 years old. That's how long he's helped to run my pathetic mm -hmm. life. Yeah, yeah, because Australia. Well, no, he came over here and bought the news of the world. Of course, When yeah. I was 10, Yeah. I guess, I think. But yes, he, my father was Australian, and so uh, he had a particular eye for me. Mm. And I lived in Australia at the time when, or quite a long time at different moments, but at one period during which the entire journalistic staff of the Australian newspaper went on strike because Murdoch was rewriting headlines and stories mm -hmm. all the time. Mm. Um, and certainly when he came here and when he came to the US, it was quite obvious what he represented. Um, mind you, some of the moralists against him, I find, 
a little overblown mm. uh, in terms of you know their their own uh, sense of being above all of this. So people like uh, Andrew Neil yeah. and Roy Greenslade and Harry Evans, yeah, yeah. they were happy to take, as it were, the king's coin when it suited, and then mm. when it didn't, they got fired or whatever happened, yeah, yeah. they turned on him. I'm also, the, the ones you know that I'm mean? really um, interested in are people like Steve Coogan, who's now working, his new show is out on Sky HD. And he's taken Murdoch to court. Absolutely. So, where does that, what's that about? Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. But one to watch. But he's going to be around a long time. You know, he's he's no sign of uh, of slowing down. Tell me, in terms of uh, commentary that's not academic on the media here in the UK, what's interesting? I'm thinking of everything from podcasts to magazines to newspapers. I mean, uh, I was thinking. I'm thinking of say Steve Hewlett has a Radio 4 show on the mm, media. Mm. Uh, John, somebody or other, has a Guardian podcast mm. about the media. Is there anywhere you go for interesting <clears throat> media analysis from within the beast? Greenslade writes a blog in the Guardian. Yeah, you know what I do? I follow Twitter. Do you? I'm a great, yeah, a great Twitter feed person. And I tend to um, follow people and then see what they're reading and what. So I get my news from Twitter. So you follow what, I don't know, for the sake of the argument, Seamus Milne yeah. says he's reading, or Polly yeah. Toynbee, or. Yeah. Or. Joan Bakewell. Yeah, uh, yeah. Caitlin Moran, people like that. Ah, oh, yes. She's the kind of Joan Bakewell of the next generation. <laughs> Isn't she just? You, you know yeah. what we used to... I won't, I won't repeat <coughs> on air what, on whatever this is. Air or otherwise, what we used to call Joan Bakewell when I was young. Uh, yeah, I can but, imagine. Well, no, she was much loved by yeah. people well, 20 years younger than her, such as myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, it's, when it goes up, we'll, we'll see if it's the same thing. No, it is yeah. the same thing. She was called the thinking man's crumpet, crumpet yeah. which was obviously very sexist. But it... it alludes to the fact that she was an intellectual on television Absolutely. who was a young woman yeah. and her opinions mattered around the country mm -hmm. so it had its rarefying qualities yeah. but she was an electrifying television presence in the yeah. 60s and 70s yeah yeah I, I mean who would you say has replaced her is there anybody well of course it's a different environment now isn't it in yeah. terms of having that kind of national attention that you've got with three channels, yeah. BBC One, BBC Two and ITV, but I don't think there is anybody. I don't think really. No, I, I can't, certainly can't think of anyone. And the great thing about her is that she's now become a very interesting advocate for older people, mm. I think, and yeah. ran a government report and uh, still gets interviewed to talk about these issues. Yeah. And is, bold and interesting about yeah. them. I mean, but the biggest thing now is about um, women ageing and the media, isn't it? And the BBC and oh. how um, they get rid of people, especially women past the age of, what, 40, 45? 25, 20, who knows? 20. No, there was a big case, wasn't there, a few years ago when a woman was running a garden show, I Country think. File. Country File, and wasn't yeah. renewed and sued and won, I think. Yes, she did, recently, yeah. And... That, I think, lifted the lid on some of this. Yeah. That and, and Greg Dyke, when he was running the BBC, describing it as disgustingly white. Yeah. So I think those issues... I mean, you've written about the Savile, the Jimmy Savile case yeah. and so on. Horrible, horrible stories. But battle around, medium to longer term, systematic sexual discrimination and racial discrimination mm. uh, in the, the bourgeois British media is... Is extreme Stunning. as it yeah. ever was. Yeah, yeah. So, is there a Joan Bakewell? I don't think so. Now, the equivalents that I see are people like Andrew Marr, who was very ill, which we yeah, recognise, yeah. who is infinitely less interesting to me yeah. than she is because she took real risks in the moment mm. with her expression of opinions yeah. about gender and, yeah, yeah. and other political questions. Robert Peston's interesting as well. Um, yes. He's weird. Tell me what you think. He's a BBC economist. Tell me what, who has the ear of business and the Tories, but is actually 
vaguely Keynesian on vaguely on yeah. social democratic. I don't work. I mean he's just <clears throat> he's interesting for me because again I follow him on Twitter. He's quite verbose on Twitter. I mean what Is I would he? say yeah, anybody any of these people follow them on Twitter and you'll see what they're really saying and what they're really thinking. And that's the interesting for me. That's the kind of, you know, under the line stuff. Is Stephanie Flanders on Twitter? I think so. I think most of them are, yeah. All those sort of BBC economics people. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mm. And really worth following. Really, it's really worth getting a Twitter account and following them. And I've I've got one, but I can't (coughs) bring myself on a routine basis to follow as I should, I guess. I don't know why. But I I, I have one. Mm. And I... Every now and then I pick something interesting up from yeah. it. But I don't follow famous people. So no, maybe that's God, what I should be do doing. That, yeah. No, but these are, well, yeah, in I our mean, world, sorry, celebrities, yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, I don't follow journalists. I follow yeah. organisations. It sounds as though I should be following journalists. You should be following journalists. And it was a, a friend of mine that works for the BBC who said to me, why aren't you following these people? By the time the newspaper comes out the next day, it's old news. You find it, you know, it's you hear the news as it happens on Twitter. Yeah. Twitter makes the news. You know, it's, it's not... Print journalism, this is why it's, it's losing ground, is because people are, are actually out-tweeting. You know, I, I heard about the um, terrible nightclub fire <clears throat> before it was on the news. Because, In Brazil? Yeah, yeah, because it's tweeted breaking news and you it comes through and you know what's going on so that's why you should be doing you know following journalists especially on twitter mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you find out what they really think yeah very interesting mm. i suspect i know what robert piston thinks unfortunately it's not quite what i think but, no <laughs> but he does have not. the ear of the ruling elite yeah yeah i just sort of i think i mean i follow rupert murdoch you know well, you should read this Guardian piece then, see what yeah. you think of it since you're a follower. Yeah, yeah, since I'm a follower, yeah. definitely. So that's interesting. So you, you go there, but in terms of people who are putting together metacritical operations, as you do with your blog, with your website, and with your journal, there isn't anything there that, that draws you in that interests you. Really, no. I'm kind of quite eclectic, really, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. I, I think really because I read a lot of American... Um, media gossip. I mean, I'm terrible for media gossip. Uh-huh. So, um, I'm a big reader of Slate, but again, because I follow Slate on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, Wall Street Journal, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, things like that. Um, e Weekly, is it e- Entertainment Weekly? E Online? E Online. Um, yeah. My favourite television network. Yeah, so I follow e. them. Um, I read, uh, there's... I don't know if you have heard of David Bianculi, who's got his mm-hmm. website in America, TV website. Very influential like. writer, and you've got recruited him. Yes, yeah. So I read a lot of his yes. the stuff that he's he writes. very able. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's not really anyone I follow. I have to say, I'm mm. I'm kind of out there scattergun approach. Sure. And it's I've find, I've found a different way. You know, I'll somebody will say have you read this and then I read that and then I go back and it's kind of following that line yeah. sideways rather than the other way so yeah I'm not being much help there no you're being I... a lot of help I think that's very interesting uh, because how people go about picking up their knowledge of the industry mm. is fascinating there are ways you can do it that are systematic down one path and systematic down another path and this is the particular path you've got and it makes a lot of sense mm. and I'm a, ter- I'm a terrible web surfer as well I'm um, you know I'll spend a lot of time online just random just you know see what I come across do your children try to intervene to take you away from this yes, at all we fight or your husband <laughs> yes. do they say can we play ping pong now <laughs> or no. we, watch the know, cricket we or are, so we're a family of multi-screeners it's really interesting that we'll be watching something and my husband will be watching football and I can be watching something on the laptop plugged in. My daughter's on the iPad going through Twitter and Tumblr and you know and we're and the only time that we can't do that is when we're watching The Killing or Borgen 
the Danish dramas because so of only, subtitles. <laughs> oh, it's only but it's only the Nordic world that brings the family yes. back together it in front of the is. one yeah, screen. Exactly, because we have to put it all down. Does your yeah. husband want you to wear sweaters? <laughs> Do you know it's really strange that my daughter has really got into sweaters, so we're all we're all wearing his sweaters actually. He's trying to get us out of his sweaters. Yeah. Right, because they start having a funny shape and they don't exactly. fit the shoulders anymore and everything else. Yeah. Yes, wonderful. So, yeah, to the contrary, he's trying to get us out of the sweaters. <laughs> well, Kim, thank you very much for joining us. And I hope that next time you're in these parts and have a moment, you could do this again. Oh, I'd love That's to. Great. Yeah, I'd love to. All right. Happy days. Thank you.